I'm Denise. She's a non-fiction editor. And I'm Louise. She's a fiction editor. And together, we're The Editing Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Editing Podcast. So this week we're talking about proofreading symbols and whether we still need to learn them. That's right. So um, we're going to run this episode as a sort of Q&A because as a stylistic line editor, I worked pretty much directly in raw text in Word documents um, now. So my days of using those symbols are, are over. Yeah. Oh, she feels sad oh. about that. I bet you don't. No. <laughs> no, not really. Doing better things. Now. I don't. I. I mean, I. I. I found them really useful back yeah. in the day when I did use them. If and if I was still working on PDF, mm-hmm. um, I. I. Yeah, I. I love digital markup, and and I found those symbols at times. There's nothing beats them. But we'll talk about. That yeah. Soon. Yeah. Absolutely. So. Um, whereas you're basically not using them anymore, I still do a lot of work that involves marking up or annotating formatted files like PDFs. Um, although you did do a lot of that work back in the day, didn't you? Yeah, I did. In fact, it's all I did. For mm. years, I was a pure proofreader. And at the start of my career, I was working only on paper. Oh, me too. Remember that? Lugging <laughs> parcels to the post office for delivery to publishers. I know. In some ways, it seems almost unrecognisable. So, Denise, let me ask my first question. Um, Can you explain what these symbols are for listeners who aren't familiar with them? Okay, so they are a set of symbols that are used in the text and in the margins of the text um, to indicate um, various changes that the proofreaders identified that needs to be made. Um, So they could be changes to the text itself. For example, you may need to insert, replace or delete characters, words, sentences or even whole paragraphs. Um, They are also used to indicate changes to the appearance of the text. So that may be changing um, bold or italic or capitals or lowercase, um, making changes to that, how it's presented on the page. And then also marking up changes to the position of text and the layout of elements on a page. So that could be to do with margins, indentation and line spacing, that sort of thing. It's such a good reminder that <clears throat> proofreading, like proofreading like this, yeah. when you're dealing with all the elements of 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 the text, yeah, is so much more than typo hunting. Isn't oh, it? yeah, it's, absolutely, it's, it's a massive job, and that's sometimes something that new proofreaders coming into the business don't mm-hmm. appreciate. And some clients, that's fine. You know, look, some clients will want you just to work on raw text, but yeah. Some won't. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's and I think it's to be fair, it's a way that a lot of us come into the profession is that entry point is knowing that you're you're good at identifying problems with text in terms of grammar and typos and punctuation and that sort of thing. And it's a case of you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. But um that's why getting good training. I know we're diverging a little bit here, but that's why getting good training to understand the the scope of these sorts of jobs is so important because if you're only ever working on um, perhaps novels or monographs and things like that, there may not be many different elements to it. So it may well just be, you know, mainly typos and spelling errors and stuff like that. But if your first job is to work on a, you know, a textbook or something that's got lots of different elements on the page and got a complex layout, you need to know how to handle that yeah, and you yeah. need to you need to know what you're looking for um and how to mark it up and um using proofreading marks is 
a really good way of just focusing your mind on that. And yeah. I realised we got completely off topic that's already. All right. That's all right. We'll come back to that. But <laughs> yeah, first, yeah. I wanted um, to have a quick chat with you yeah. about the fact that there isn't yet a universal standard, is there? Which no. is just yet another. Um, this is something we hear all the time when we're talking yeah. about uh, the um, editorial practice, about how yeah. there are standards but yeah. aren't, they aren't the same standards everywhere. but they're not that's the thing um and and it's and it's an, an important reminder that when you're talking to clients and other editorial professionals is to not make assumptions that they're yeah. working with the same marks as you are because yeah. as you said there are different marks used in different countries and although although there is some overlap I can look at a I can look at a set of American, North American proofreader marks and recognise a lot of them, but they're not all the same. No. Um, in the UK, the British Standards Institution, BSI, has a set of marks that are recognised here, um, and that's what is taught in on UK programmes. And they are used in some other countries, but as we said, the marks in the US are a bit different. And also, the British Standards Institution marks that are currently in operation mm -hmm. weren't the same as the ones being used 20 years ago. I can't remember no. what the date is on the current marks. Uh, I think it's 2006? Five? 2005, yeah. Yeah. 2005. Mm -hmm. yeah. So, you know, if you're, um, if you're a, a proofreader or an editor who has used to do this work mm -hmm. and then has been out of the business for some time and yep. is re-entering it, you might find that the expectations of your clients now, in, certainly in the UK, who, if they want you to know that yeah. you use these marks, they're different. Yeah. Some of them, and not all of them. Not all of them, yeah. And also some clients, some publishing houses kind of have their own versions of them as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. You know, they'll they'll use their own kind of, um, you know, they, they may, you, they're a shorthand anyway, but they may use, use their own shorthand within yeah. that shorthand for yeah, how, yeah. How, they, how they prefer to use them, which is just a reminder that when you're asked to do a markup getting it really clear what the brief is, how they want things, ask them for examples if you're not sure um, before you start ploughing in and doing the wrong thing potentially. Yeah. And uh, it's a good reminder that um, the other thing these days, perhaps more than in the past, I, I think, hmm. um, many of us are working globally in ways that we weren't um, pre the digital age. Yeah. And so that's, that's really I'm just trying to emphasize that point you made about made about checking with the client, yeah. thinking about where do they live, or even if they live in the same place as you, what a, what what do they want? Yeah, um, because it's it's it, it, the, the 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 market and 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 the sort of perspective has has broadened. Yeah, and the other thing to point out is that although we're working more globally now, in a way. The proofreading marks, and we'll come to why, can work in your favour in that case if yeah. you're working yeah, in yeah, yeah, yeah. across different countries and languages. Yeah. But we'll come to that. Um, and it's we're... not difficult to learn the differences. Yes. You know. <laughs> yeah. I was going to. I was going to ask you about that because um, it, it sometimes people think, oh, well, that means I can't work for a US publisher if I'm mm. um, if I've been trained um, by a, a British institution. Um, but as you said, the marks aren't. That's not a, all of them are different and, no. they, and they're logically different where they are different you can see there's a logical difference often yeah and and it's easy enough to you know get, get a crib sheet online or from your publisher yeah. and and do a bit of learning yeah yeah 
So some people, Denise, argue that there's no point in learning this markup language because hardly anyone uses the symbol anymore, the symbols anymore. What do you say to that? Uh, well, hardly anyone isn't no one. So <laughs> that's, that's the short answer. Um, I, I absolutely agree that the, the number of publishers that use them now is is far fewer than, than 10, 15 years ago, but some publishers still do. Um, and it can vary within publishers as well, in the larger publishers, um, one of the oh, large between ones- Between departments. Between departments, yeah. One oh, of the large yeah. ones that I work for, I know that it can vary between departments. Some of them still do ask for, but, and I think that comes down to um, perhaps the desk editor that you might be working with mm -hmm. if they've been there a long time and that's the way that they do it and and their workflow and the designers that they work with it all still fits so um don't just make assumptions that nobody uses them anymore and you know if that's what a job needs why wouldn't you make sure that you have the skills available um you know even if you don't use them very often it's just a good thing to have under your makes, belt it's a, it's a bit of a no-brainer when you put it yeah. like that actually yeah and they are, and we, we touched on this earlier, they are a really precise way of communicating your corrections to the typesetter, aren't they? Yeah. Because no, you've so often got little space. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. If you're marking up PDF proofs and you've got tight margins, you don't have space to write in long explanations of right. what you want done. And when these symbols are used correctly to identify the changes that you want done they're unambiguous. Yeah. So yeah. a typesetter may not understand the actual content that they are setting. If you think of maybe complex technical or medical or philosophy texts, and they may not even have English as their first language. So many um, typesetting jobs are outsourced overseas now. So we can't expect that the typesetter is going to be able to engage with the text in order to interpret what you've put in the margins for your corrections. <laughs> yes. So your proofreading marks, they are a universal language um, which everybody should be able to understand um, and not have any difficulty implementing the change, even if they don't actually understand what the actual context of, of, yes. of the, the change is. And that's, that's such an important point because sometimes when you're dealing with uh, content that so yes you're you know you you're fluent in English but mm -hmm. uh, you know I might come across a text where I simply don't um, I would find it quite difficult to to explain to a typesetter why I need this doing here without yeah. becoming <clears throat> it becoming really really um massively wordy I mean yeah. having trouble now <laughs> just being yeah. concise about about what the issue is here they're just it's that precision that they yeah. give you you know you put that in that position it means do this and it doesn't matter whether I, I'm from this country or that country and and you know we all know what it means um, absolutely yeah absolutely so um that's one way, I guess, I guess a, you know, a way of thinking about um, these marks as a way of standardizing um, how we can communicate our changes. Because <laughs> how many different ways might 10 proofreaders mark up changing an italic lowercase word to a bold small caps? I mean, there are yeah. all sorts of, of ways you might explain that. Yep. And it, you might put the words in different or the instructions in different places. And you would certainly use quite a few words. Whereas yep. if you just use those recognized symbols, it vastly reduces the chance of your instructions being misinterpreted. And then actually, instead of 
improving a text, you've caused a situation where you've introduced errors. Yeah. So someone else has introduced Absolutely. Errors. It's a really good point. There's a reason why those symbols were introduced in the first place. Yeah. Um, it was to stop these sort of errors happening. And yes, there may sometimes be more than one way of using the symbols to indicate a change, but it's still going to be unambiguous however you decide to do that. Yeah. If you're making multiple changes to one word, for example, there could be a couple of different ways of doing things, but it's still going to be within the confines of using these proofreading marks to indicate the changes you want. And so it's just, it's efficient, you know? Yeah. yeah. You can get a lot of information about how to change text into really small margins on pages. Just to go back to that, I mean, I'm thinking about my days of proofreading on, on PDF and on paper. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I was dealing with a margin of less than an inch. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you, and can have, and you might have really dense text that yeah, needs, needs a lot of correcting. To, and you might, yeah, you might want to, when you were dealing with paper, especially, you, you might have had a situation that you couldn't even use a markup tool like mm -hmm. you can um, with... Um, with, which we'll talk about in a bit, but which yeah. you have with like say Adobe or PDF Exchange or, or yeah. any other PDF editor, you you had to convey like maybe four, five, six changes within the space of an inch and the system yeah. let you do that. Yeah, yeah. But she's very clever if you think about yeah, it. It really is. Yeah. So um Denise, what would you say to someone who says they know they just know they'll never work for publishers. They'll say, I only work with indie authors and they don't even know what those symbols are. Why should learning this be a part of an assessed training course? I think that's a fair point. Because, <clears throat> I, you know, I think there's no doubt that, you know, most organisations, if not all organisations that are not traditional publishers and certainly indie authors, have probably never even heard of these marks. Um, and if you're never going to work with you know, a, a publishing house, you might think, what is the point? But I still teach them as part of my courses because of everything that we've just said, but for a few additional reasons as well. I think it makes you think really precisely about what change you want to communicate to the typesetter. So when you're using, I think when you're just, um, you know, typing text in or whatever it's easy just to put a line through something and um, type type something in the box if you're doing it on screen but when you're using symbols and you're thinking about where they're being placed and how those marks will be interpreted it makes you think about will those marks and how I place them achieve the result that I want if the typesetter yeah. Im yeah, Im yeah. implements them in this way will does what I've done here um, reflect what's in my head, the connection that's in my head. Um, and I think it makes you consider the knock-on effects of your corrections. So I think it it just changes your your, your mindset. The, your mindset a little yeah. bit actually. Like again, yeah. that thing we talk, we've talked about in another episode in a very different uh, context, but mm -hmm. about retraining your brain yeah. to to um to, to to mark up with clarity. Yeah. Yeah. And God, I remember years ago now how when you were talking about knock-on effects there it, it reminded me about how years ago how careful I had to be in to, to to ensure that my markup didn't impact on something 10 chapters later mm. like a cross-reference or a page number so like if you if you'd you know indicate for a a, a line 
to be you know some spacing to be changed so that mm-hmm. it was consistent with the so the recto and the and the and the verso were consistent yeah and then you ask for a line to be knocked over and it happens to take over a cross reference or a page number or something mm. or or it changes it takes a, a key thing that's going to be in the index onto a new page that means the page numbers change yeah and then that's mentioned like later and, and by the time you get to it you've forgotten yeah absolutely and um, I know in some circumstances, um, you know, if something's only ever going to be online, you know, maybe it doesn't matter with pages, yeah. but certain things like, you know, I've said many times before that I work on educational um, textbooks and things. These units are to a fixed layout. They're to a fixed number of pages. Yeah. You know, if, if a lesson's on one double page spread, you cannot go over that. There is no option to. So you've got to be very careful thinking about um you know are your changes going to push stuff into basically being over matter yeah and and I just think that when you're when you're certainly when you're first working with um uh, pages like that working with proofreading marks just makes you just engage with the text more and and just think more about if I move this here where does this bit at the bottom of the page go is there enough room or not um and I'm, I'm sure some people might disagree with me, but I just think it helps you to to just engage a little bit more closely with the text. And also, um, that that when you push things like over into over matter, I mean that's expensive damage. Mm. Yeah, but, uh, somebody's but, uh, going to have to sort it out. Yeah, you, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the other thing to mention is is that we've both said this before. You know, when we say I'm never going to do this, like you know, I remember years ago saying I'm never going to work with indie authors and I'm never going to do fiction I remember saying that really (laughs) that was you know obviously that was back in 2006 2007 I had a very clear idea about what I was doing and what I was enjoying doing at the time and here we are in 2023 and that's all I do yeah so yeah you, you might think that you're never going to do this that you're never going to do that but um I still think that that foundational training that I I I gave myself means that I've still got options now if suddenly if I decided you know what I'm just getting a new excitement for I think I want to move you know this isn't something that's happening at the moment I don't Mm -hmm. I haven't I really love what I do and I've got no desire to go back into working for publishers on Mm -hmm. social science texts but I I don't know who knows what might happen five years down the road yeah I don't know and we know that um you know you can use even if people aren't doing hard copy markup you can do um, digital markup with proofreading stamps as we both know yeah. um, and so there there is still this ability to do it on yeah. a on yeah. screen just because we're not working directly with hard copy and and at the end of the day you never know you may well pick up an indie client who's got a publishing background and would really love you to use yeah yeah yeah, marks. yeah you yeah. know Can you, you just proofread don't my know. novel please but you know what if you want this job I really yeah. want to hire you. I'll pay your rate, but you've got to do it. I want you to use um, proofreading symbols. Yeah, you oh, just don't know. All right, I, I can't <laughs> use those, you know. Well, actually, I can, so I'd be all right. But if, if yeah. we, when we, it's not like, I mean, we'll we'll talk about this a little bit later, but it's not like this necessarily these, these learning this stuff is taking up no. everything Most you do. No, you know? no. And you're not doing it at the expense of anything else. No, no, it's, 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 it's and not all exactly <laughs> so um, let's talk about the color coding and why proofreaders are sometimes asked to use different colors to mark up text so the main ones are red and blue um 
why don't you start by telling us a little bit about what they're for, given that they're the ones they're most likely to come into contact yeah, with? Yeah, so this goes back to the days of hard copy when, um, you know, proofreaders were expected to use pencil or pen, sorry, pen to mark up and different colours um, to identify who whose error it is you're correcting yeah, who's because, paying <laughs> who's paying for it exactly because the typesetter would then um allocate the costs of resetting the changes to either you know was it a typesetting error in the first place and yeah. or was it an editorial error in that, which case that, the publisher pays in which yeah. case the publisher pays for it so um typesetting errors would be marked up in red and editorial et errors would be marked up in blue. Yeah. Um, and then mm -hmm. sometimes we'd even have green and black. I had a few, yeah. not, not very many jobs, and but a couple of my clients in the old days used to ask me to use green to um, refer to uh, errors that were not errors. They were, it was markup um, uh, as a result of collation, if you were yes. working, say, an edited volume yep. um, or, 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 once the design had been done so it wasn't mm. necessarily it, or it could have been errors things that were introduced at that stage or, or, or because there'd been there'd been some later decisions made um yeah and then, and then black corrections were were might be ones that were made by uh, an author the author yeah yeah so sometimes when you're collating you might have um an, an author copy as well to collate in and that would mm. be that would be black. So do you um, think that, that we're as likely to be using um, this colour markup as, as much? Um, no, I don't think days? so. To be absolutely honest, not. Um, I think I've been asked to do it a couple of times way back at the beginning. So I think it's much less likely than in the past. But I do st still think it's very useful when you're training in identifying where the source of the error is. Or who's and thinking with, who's about that, query. yeah, thinking make you about, think about like, what it. the impact is and at what stage in the publishing workflow it happens. Yeah, because it can help. It can actually help the publisher identify potential weaknesses in the publishing workflow. Yeah, you know, if it's if, if it's coming back and it's covered in blue, then your editor has missed a lot of stuff yeah, or in, yeah. or introduced errors. If it's a lot of red, then is your typesetter up to the, up to scratch? You know, yeah. so yeah. It, I'm not saying that that's how it's it would be used now, but that is definitely one way of looking at it. And they would it would have been very obvious in the past when it literally came down to pounds and pence, like who was paying yeah. for all this. Yeah. If a publisher had a copy editor that was missing a lot of stuff or introducing errors, I would imagine that seeing that in in blue on a page would make them think is there a training need here or is this yeah. somebody that isn't suited to this job yeah. you know or so... is the proofreader overmarking? you know like that's the it's... other thing yes yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. but again it comes back to that thing that you mentioned right at the top about that and this is this has come i think you know it's going to be the third time we sort of hinted at this this issue around how these marks can really help you engage with not just spellings and 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 whether a comma's in the right place it, it's 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 a deeper engagement with layout formatting and and the publishing workflow flow in general yeah you know it's definitely a place that these symbols um and the, and the learning of them um yeah um, I, I think nowadays it's more about the learning of them and because I think we do hear this you know from because we know that many courses do still include um mine included yeah. uh, do still include an element of 
BSI. And, and, and there, there is sometimes pushback from students saying, why am I wasting my time doing this? And and it's getting across that it actually it's not wasting your time. Yeah. It's an it's an aid to your learning. Even yeah. if you never use them again, it's 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 worth doing even if it's only on this course and you put them to one side and you go on your lovely way and you have a great career with indie authors and never need to engage them they're still there in the back of your mind it's like maths uh, how <laughs> much like of maths did we learn when we were in primary school and high school and we thought oh this is such a waste of time you know I'll yeah. never use this and then you know 30 years later you're camping and suddenly for some reason you need to work out the volume of your your tent to make sure it will fit your family in it <laughs> And you don't know which one to buy and you find that yourself going oh hang on I can use pi r squared or, or something or two pi r squared I, you know actually you I can't remember it but you you just don't know when when you that, don't. that supposedly irrelevant information is going to come in handy applied to life yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and some people just may end up making up their own little short temp you know three or four even marks that they use with their own clients if, if they've got a regular client they might agree look we're going to use these four or five symbols to mean these things and yeah, yeah. it's just between you and this regular client but yeah, it's it's yeah. there you it's, know it's, it's actually having the professional publishing knowledge to be able to even offer that as a yeah. as, as, as a solution to a client who perhaps Absolutely. has got issues um dealing with space or uh, mm -hmm. even even when markup's digital yeah so um again earlier we we, we touched on this and said we come back to it so um denise Tell us briefly about other ways of marking up um, okay. digital text um, that uh -huh. proofreaders need to know. Okay, so you're assuming that you're working in a PDF viewer on screen. The most common one that you're likely to be dealing with is Adobe Reader DC. And you've got inbuilt markup tools there. So on your top ribbon, you've got a ribbon of commenting and drawing tools. So you've got commenting tools that can be used to... Um, insert, substitute and delete text in the same way that you can insert, substitute and delete with the proofreading symbols. Uh, but you also have additional tools like highlighting and notes. And you also have some really useful drawing tools on there um, to yeah. uh, mark up maybe layout changes. So you can draw squares and open-ended circles and all sorts of stuff like that. So, and most so you, good PDF editors should absolutely. have some form of these. They'll have some form. Of, it yeah. will vary from one to another. Um, but I would say the most common way that you'll get um, a, a PDF from a um, from a publisher is probably with an Adobe markup because so many use InDesign and yeah. that just plays nicely. But there yeah. are others like you've mentioned, PDF Exchange is one. Is there Fox? Is that another one? But yeah. Yeah. The other um, thing about DC, Reader DC, is that it's it's free. Um, it's free. Um, totally so, free. You know, yeah. Uh, For pure proofreading, you don't need the pro version. You don't need the paid version. So yeah. I think a lot of um proofreaders worry that that's going to a new proofreaders worry that's going to be a, an expense that they maybe worry about having to buy the pro you don't need it not yeah. for not for proofreading and then the other way is that you may be asked to proofread raw text so in a word document before it's been typeset or designed in any way um, and we'd be more likely to sort of say that might be more like proof editing where you might engage more with the text to make more corrections than just 
what you would do yeah, proofreading sort of like stage. a hybrid isn't it of proofreading yeah and, yeah and what what pe- industry professionals tend to refer to as copy editing but actually yeah. those sometimes those terms make no sense to anybody living in the real world exactly exactly just make and, my text better yeah and you're generally not dealing with any design things or anything like that at yeah. that stage because it's just purely the text that you're dealing with and you would mark that up in your word document um usually with track changes um so that you're um when you return them um your client can see the changes that you've made and and they can accept or delete them or you would send them a clean copy and they might go yeah that looks great and they're not even look at the changes you've made yeah. which yeah. some some choose to do they just trust you so uh, that's with words um and having the track changes on allows your client to see the connections you've that done. you've made you've actually yeah. engaged directly with the text so um just one thing to mention that um, I've got some digital versions of these proofreading symbols if people mm-hmm. want to download them. So we'll put a link to those in the show notes. But Denise, you've also got a course that beginners will find really useful. Tell us about that. So I've got a course called How to Mark Up PDF Page Proofs, which goes through everything about um, how to mark up. It, it does what it says on the tin, Louise. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, it's one of those really, really well-named courses. Yes. Um, and it does mention um, how to use imported digital stamps in yep. when you're marking up on screen. And I'm also just in the process of finishing a course on how to use BSI symbols. So okay. that's a little shorty course that should be out quite soon as well. Gorgeous. I, I just definitely think this is a skill that is worth proofreaders learning because that markup lan- language, as we've said, is so deliciously efficient. <laughs> and who wants to lose out on a job because they didn't learn uh, a technical basic that's still required now and then? Yeah, exactly. I still think it's a core component of any proofreading training. Um, and while the emphasis may have shifted away from BSI symbols to for obvious reasons, Rather than ditching that learning, I do think we need to recognise that people need to be complementing that with additional knowledge, not replacing it yeah. entirely. And and also, I, I don't know how you felt when you learned it. I felt like I was learning like a secret language. I, f- I felt like I had been entered. I, I had joined a club that that, that knew how to use this language. And it, it actually made me feel a bit more like, oh, professional, because yeah. I knew how to engage with text in this different language and I think it reminds me me of when years when I was a a small child my my I used to sometimes see my mum um she used to do uh transcription of 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 various you know notes in offices and stuff as Uh secretarial work and she she yeah Pittman shorthand skills oh wow yes sometimes I used to see her notes yeah and think what yeah it does she this is like spy language it is like spy language isn't it <laughs> I I whenever I see somebody writing short I'm so impressed with it it's yeah. it's just amazing and so I think proofreading symbols not quite the same but it's no, in the no. same vicinity yeah. that it's it's a language it's a yeah. it's a language of love to your text yeah. that's what I like to think yeah. of it as yes Well, that's it for this week. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for listening again. If you'd like to help support the editing podcast, you can join our Patreon community for only £3 a month. Yes, we'd love to have you on board. So if you're interested, hop over to patreon.com forward slash editing podcast. All our patrons get exclusive access to a huge batch of transcripts. We'll pop a link in the show notes for you. In the meantime, she's been Louise. And she's been Denise. Join us again next time. See you soon. Bye. Bye.